one of the more harrowing experiences that I've had to go through is giving my two daughters away in marriage. Now, they're, they're, the, the men are great. They marry great men. Ryan and Brian. I mean, that's a little confusing. Ryan and Brian. I get them confused all the time. So Ryan, we call Randy. It just helps. Um, and he'll answer to anything. You know, it's, he's a guy. So when Emily and Ryan decided to get married, he had been a, a wilderness guide for Young Life, and, the, and he proposed in the Rocky Mountains tour. And so they came on and announced, we're going to get married on a mountain in Colorado. And we said, no, you're not. Not if I'm paying for it. Because, because both of our moms were still in the picture, and we knew that they couldn't make it up the side of the mountain. I said, you're not excluding your grandmothers from your weddings. It's not going to happen. Let me be clear about this. And so they handled it maturely, as you would expect a wildman to. They said, okay, fine, we're going to get married barefooted. And if you came to their wedding, it was here, and everyone was asked to take off their shoes. So the commons was full of everyone's shoes, so they proved their independence by having us all be barefooted. So there. You know what I mean? I mean, even when your kids grow up, they still, you know, have to be show you who's in charge. And, and, and they are. So they, they did that. And then, and then uh, they left, finished the, the service. And, and tip also the, their boss now in Young Life actually did the wedding. And he stood on the stairs with his back toward everyone because so they, they wanted to watch everybody during their service. They turned it around. I mean, they're Young Life people. You know, they just, that way. And then they finished the service and, and, and Chris Howell, who was our worship leader then, I affectionately called Skippy, um, played and sang the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. And, and they left, only time that's ever happened to Grace. Uh, and they left, and then I had hired Brian Piper and his quartet to play a jazz version of All You Need Is Love in the Commons. And, and that was your pastor's daughter's wedding. All, the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. So, Because, you know, after all, the Beatles... No truth, right? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to go to anyone for truth, the Beatles, first people you think of. One of my favorite, y'all are, most of y'all are too young, but those of us who are older remember when Christian rock first came about. There was this crazy dude named Larry Norman, and he had a song, The Beatles sang, All You Need Is Love. And then they broke up, which pretty much saw, uh, shows the, the sense in which how much the Beatles get the whole concept of love, you know. But, but that was the 60s. We talked about love. We were going to love everybody and riot it and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, the irony is, I believe biblically it's true. I, I believe you can make a case for Love is the foundational element in all of Scripture, that um, the gospel is rooted in the love of God. By this, uh, God showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the expectation for us as Christians is to love God and others. First great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So while I don't think the Beatles had any clue what it meant to love, I think they were transactional. You know what I mean by that? The world, in the world's idea is love is a transaction. We make a deal. I do this for you, you do that for me, and we'll call it love, right? I, and, and what's the problem with that? I never view your contribution as big as mine, right? I mean, when it comes to transactional love, it always breaks down because ultimately, 
we overvalue what we sacrifice and undervalue what other people sacrifice. We're just wired that way. So Christ doesn't call us to a transactional love. He calls us to a sacrificial love. And that's what we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 13. What is this love that's not a Beatles song, but is instead something that is so incredibly, insanely radical that the all-sovereign God, all-powerful, totally complete in himself, would choose to sacrifice his son so that we could have peace in him and restore all of creation to what he originally intended. What, what is that kind of love? And we've been walking through the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. He basically says, no matter what else you have, if you don't have this, you got nothing. And then in verses four through seven, we've been clicking through the characteristics of love. Love is, um, uh, what are the, love is patient. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations. My mind is, you know. And today we get to, we're in the second of the four in verse seven. Um, and, And these four, each one, it's all things. And this one, it's, believes all things. Love believes all things. And of course, the first time you read that, your first thought is, well, that's not true, right? Because obviously you can't believe all things. You can't believe the world is flat and the world is a sphere at the same time. You can't believe all things. So it doesn't mean that. You got to ask yourself, what does it mean to believe all things? Well, first clue, it's in the context of love. It's a relational term. So it it means something as it relates to being in relationship with other people. You have to believe something. You believe in them. There are a number of different ways it's been translated to try to get the gist of it. Um, One of my favorites is the New Living and multiple uh, scholars say, love never loses faith. When you love someone, you, you keep on believing. You don't lose faith. One of my favorite translations is, for love there is no hopeless case. Those of us who have been called hopeless really hold on to that one, right? Augustine said it means, real simple, it's just believing in the, the best in other people. I would encourage you to step back and ask yourself, what is the need that I have that this love is offering? And can I suggest to you, all of us have this deeply, incredible need for someone to believe in us. And we know what that means. And the reason we have such a huge need for someone to believe in us is because we hear our own thoughts, we see our own actions, we see all the experiences of life we have, and there is so much in our lives, there are so many messages in our lives that tell us well, we're not very valuable. And so one of the most desperate needs we have in life is just people who come along that will believe in us when we don't. That in spite of all the evidence says, I'm, I still believe in you. In spite of how low we get, we know that they are still so committed to us that they believe in us. One of the darkest periods of my life when, when I was probably clinically depressed, every night Julie would look at me and say, I believe in you. First couple of days she did it, I thought, huh, of course you do. Let me look at me. You know, short guys have big egos. 
Um, but it, it came to be an incredibly powerful message I deeply needed to hear. Love believes in people. We live in a world today where cynicism is fashionable. Um, we've all been disappointed. We've been disappointed in our institutions. Um, David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, who's an evangelical now, wrote recently an article for The Atlantic who said one of the core issues in our society is that we have lost trust in all of our institutions. And because of that, there is this, this cynicism that doesn't believe in anything. It's, it's, it's cool to not believe in things. It's cool to be negative. It's cool to put things down. because. And you know why we do that is because it's, it's so safe. You don't get disappointed if you don't trust anything. But the problem with believing in things is you set yourself up to be really disappointed. But if you don't believe in someone, you really don't love them. And so we, we live in a society, in a context where we're all fearful in, in believing in our church, believing in our nation, believing in the family. And sadly, it even deteriorates into not really even believing in each other. And sadly, that, I believe, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We continue to live up to what people expect, which is less and less and less. And when you study, I've studied leadership for over 30 years. I taught it briefly at Dallas Seminary. I, I love the subject. I still read it passionately. And one of the characteristics of great leaders is they, they sell belief. They, they convince those who are following them, that if we will together do this, we, we can accomplish something. In spite of the evidence, Winston Churchill is always such a great example because he was nuts. That little island didn't have a chance. There was not a prayer for them to survive. You read the history and there is no way that England would survive the German onslaught. And that old man just kept telling them they believed. And by God's sovereignty... And their conviction, they believed. And, and if you look at times of great progress and great growth in organizations and great growth in individuals, one of the characteristics of it is, a, is an optimism rooted in faith. This, this sense that it's, it's doable if I just do my part. And one of Satan's greatest methods is to whisper in our ears, has God really said that? Will God really do that? He is an accuser and a liar, and he loves to convince us there's no hope. But love believes all things. Let me illustrate it by showing the author of this book. The Apostle Paul believed in the Corinthian church. We've talked a lot. They, they put the fun in dysfunctional. Of all of the churches in the New Testament, they are probably the worst. I mean, they have, they have division between apostles. That, you know, they're getting drunk at the Lord's table. You realize that's why we do such little bitty cups in communion? It honestly is a reflection of avoiding the sin of 1 Corinthians. Because they were getting snockered. Which is not the point, Right? I mean, they, they, their marriages were falling apart. There was distrust. They were struggling with belief in the resurrection. They were, they were just a whole lot like us. And Paul 
constantly is hammering them and so that we, we get the impression that Paul's just a hard guy. But let me read what he says to them the very beginning of this book. Chapter 1, verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Did you get that? God confirms our testimony about how Christ is working in you. Therefore, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed and he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul believes in the Corinthian church. That's, that's the reason the Apostle Paul has such a magnificent impact in people's lives is as 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 tough as he was, he had this relentless belief that God could work miracles in people's lives because God worked a miracle in his life. Foundationally, love always believes in the object of its love. And one of the greatest threats of love is when we start disbelieving. And I want to illustrate this in two different ways from the book of 1 Corinthians. First of all, in, in what it means to love God by believing in him. 1 Corinthians 15, famous chapter about ultimately it will talk about defending the resurrection from the dead. But verse 1, he, he describes the gospel in a unique passage. He defines what the gospel means. Verse one, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The apostle Paul makes it clear that the gospel is a very simple idea. And that is Christ, the Messiah, the son of God, died for the sins of the world and was resurrected on the third day. That is the gospel. And we have to be careful in how we describe the gospel because oftentimes with the best of intentions we'll add implications of the gospel to the gospel and in doing so we water it down. We'll, we'll talk about the gospel is in us in order to produce good works. Again, we have to be careful. An outgrowth of the gospel is good works but the gospel is faith in Christ alone. The gospel is included in, includes the idea of doing, uh, working for justice in the lives of the church and in the lives of our society. And it is an implication of the gospel. But the gospel itself is Christ died for sinners and was resurrected on the third day. And the reason that's important is when we start adding other things to it, we imply that we have to do those things to be saved. And the gospel is so clear that, that it's God's work alone by faith through grace, the only means by which we have salvation. But then, because the gospel is so revolutionary, that 
invigorates us to live out that life of good works, mercy and grace and justice and all those other things. And notice that the Apostle Paul is laying this foundation in their lives that it's the gospel, that act of God by giving his son that we're called to believe in. The the first demonstration of love of God is to believe his gospel, period. Is to believe his gospel. The, The first thing we do when we comprehend what Jesus did on the cross is we entrust ourselves to his death on the cross. And, and the Christian life has filled libraries of all that it implies. But it all is based on that one simple idea. That Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah Christ, died for our sins. And was resurrected on the third day so that if we place our faith and hope in him, we have eternal life. Notice how he describes that as he goes on. Uh, And he says, and that, the gospel goes on. He was resurrected and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Uh, a quick defense of the gospel. The apostle Paul says, and if you doubt that resurrection, I'll give you email addresses. Let me tell you who saw him. Because there's no, this is rooted in truth. This isn't hearsay. It's not mysticism. It is the reality that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. And the power of the gospel is demonstrated by the fact that he had victory over life, so that you, over death, so that you and I can have victory over death to attain the peace of God. He goes on to say, for I am the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul never loses sight of the fact that he he certainly deserved nothing. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them. I love that. See that growth? You, You embrace the grace of the gospel and from that grows work. As long as you keep them separate and understand which is the cause and which is the effect, it becomes really effective. He said, I worked harder than all of them. Grace is not an excuse to coast. Grace is just how we do something we cannot do. And it empowers us to do what we're called to do. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Loving God starts with believing the gospel. Verse 17, he says, because if, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Faith is the foundation of it all. And when we, when, we, when we stop loving by believing, everything else falls apart. You know why we disobey God? Because we don't trust that God's way is better. 
in the midst of the decision, what are we doing? We are saying, God, I know that you say this, but after considerable study, I have come to the conclusion that I know better what's best than you do. Therefore, in light of all the evidence and the careful study I've made, I'm going to do this instead of obeying you. Well, we don't go through that process. But in effect, that's what we're doing, right? We are not trusting that God's way is the right way because we choose something else. It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. And, and when our love for God breaks down, it invariably is because we have forgotten who he is. We are no longer entrusting ourselves to his character that he loves. He's faithful. He's all-powerful. He's all, the, all of those attributes of his that are demonstrated in the gospel, when we lose sight of that reality in the way we think, then we stray. It all is built on the foundation of faith. So love always believes. Love always believes. But many of us have been disappointed. We thought we trusted God and he didn't turn out the way we thought it would. Many of us have experienced the concerns of the world that have pulled us away from entrusting ourselves to him. Other temptations capture our hearts. And so that, that step of faith no longer is a part of our lives and we move away. But, but fundamentally, to love God is to trust him. Love believes all the time. So one of the things that you and I have to do in the context of our Christian life is constantly ask ourselves, am I doing this because I'm trusting God or am I doing this for some other reason? What does trusting God look like in this case? By the way, sometimes that'll make you do some really crazy things because trusting God means sometimes you, you defy all the natural evidence and do something that just seems a little crazy, right? But it's not a crazy step because trusting God is trusting the one who's ultimately in control and ultimately all-powerful. So to love God is to trust always. And that's foundationally in his gospel, but we live that out in day-to-day -day life. What does it mean to love others? How does believes all things live out in loving others? As I studied this this week, I kept coming back to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is a passage about the spiritual gifts. Now, if you're not familiar with the spiritual gifts, according to Scripture, when, when someone embraces Jesus as their Savior, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's demonstrated at the day of Pentecost and then revealed throughout the book of Acts. And now Scripture teaches that all who, who entrust themselves to Christ have the Holy Spirit within them and all of his power available to them. And according to Scripture, then he, the Holy Spirit gives each of us a supernatural ability to serve him according to God's purposes. And, and there are four chapters that deal with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 speaks of the, I mean the spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4 speak of the gifts of the leaders. Uh, 
1 Corinthians 12, we'll speak of here. Romans 12 has an extensive list. And then I like 1 Peter 4 because he summarizes the gifts in two areas, those who serve and those who speak. He kind of cuts the list down where I can remember it. But according to Scripture, each of us can serve because we have the Holy Spirit and he has gifted us to do his work. Let me read a little to you from 1 Corinthians 12 and then I'll connect it. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were unbelievers, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus has been cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who works in our heart to enable us to trust God. It's the Holy Spirit that somehow mystically, uh, hand in hand with our faith, works to change our hearts to embrace God and his gospel. And he goes on in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, what? For the common good. Why do we have spiritual gifts? To serve others. Spiritual gifts, this spiritual supernatural enabling to be used by God in the life of others is for the purpose of blessing others. It's a work of love. The spiritual gifts are not something that I find out what it is so I can put it on my resume and brag about how I'm used by God. The focus of the spiritual gifts is dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to serve and love others in the body of Christ and without according to God's special blessing. And it's remarkably an act of faith. You ever thought about that? I mean, you ever thought, I can't, I, I can't be special for God I mean, I, I, I mean, look at me. I, I don't have any special giftedness. I, I'm not, I, I know all of my failings and my weak spots, my shame, my disappointments, my fears. How could I be used? God, God couldn't, couldn't. He, he's going to use the pros, you know, those preachers and staff. They'll, God will use them. They're special. They went to cemetery. I mean, it'll all work out because, because that, and, and I'll, I'll give money to pay their salaries and that'll be my part, right? What's the problem with that? It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says and said that all of us are, are gifted, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used by God to do his special work. And that means I have to trust God that he can use me. Love believes all things. Service is a remarkable step of faith. No matter what it is, whatever, whatever area you're called to service, especially if you're expecting that God might use you for supernatural results, it's a step of faith. It's one of the struggles we have in recruiting, for instance, for children's Sunday school. People will have people say, well, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I knew, no, I, you know, I, can't, I can't do that. Why is that? I really don't believe that God can use them. 
And the reality is that according to the Apostle Paul, we can be used to love in the life of others because the Spirit uses us to do His work. And it takes faith. And by the way, this doesn't mean you won't mess up. It just means that God can use you even in your messing up. It doesn't mean you'll get a lot of acclaim. It means that God may use you when no one even notices. It doesn't mean that it'll be easy. In fact, sometimes it means it'll be absolutely stark, raving, fearful because he asks us to do something that we know is outside our set of abilities in and of ourselves. But we trust, we believe that the same God who gave his son to save us gave us his spirit to use us. And that's a pretty remarkable thought, isn't it? Uh, Love ultimately occurs for the believer because our worldview is informed not by the disappointments of everything around us. Our worldview is informed by the reality of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That gospel core that God loved us that much to reshape us is the very foundation that we build on to love others and serve them. Because if God could save us, he can also use us. And love means I believe that. I believe that. And that's a hard lesson, isn't it? Because the reality is we have so many messages in our lives that tell us that at the end of the day, we're really not that useful. But according to Scripture, God supernaturally by the power of his spirit takes people like you and me and if we trust him and love him, he uses us. In fact, verse 26 goes on to say, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. That's a demonstration that the spiritual gift is a function of love because it recognizes that that in, in my giving to others, I share with their lives. It's, it's, about, it's about the reality of finding joy in the joy of others and experiencing hurt with the hurt of others. And that's why the love of Scripture is so supernatural. Because it's a sacrificial love that makes no sense except for in the example of the gospel. But the irony is, real love always, even if it's practiced by unbelievers, always follows the example, the sacrificial love of Christ. Because when it doesn't, it breaks down. And and what you and I desperately long for is someone to love us so much that they believe in us in spite of what they see. And what the person sitting next to you desperately needs is for you to trust the power of the Spirit enough in your life that believe that God can use you to transform their lives by you believing in them by the power of Christ's love. 
Can you imagine what the body of Christ would be? What every local church would be if, if when you came into the fellowship with other believers, we had the vulnerability and the honesty and the intimacy to experience that life-giving love that believes in us. Can you imagine the impact the church would have if we went out into the, into the world and we sacrificially believed in what God could do in our neighbor's life and we believed it so much that we served them by telling the gospel and demonstrating our lives? See, fundamentally our love fails because we don't believe. We've let, we've let the whispers of Satan steal our courage by neutralizing our faith. We, we've, we've become pessimistic in spite of the fact that we serve the Almighty God. And we've forgotten what His love through His Son did in our hearts and therefore don't share that reality with others. Love believes all things. Pray with me. Father, we confess that it's easy to doubt. So much of life convinces us that there's really no hope. There's no reason to believe. Our own failures, our own weaknesses, and the destruction of the world around us can cause us to just stop trusting that your way works. Lord, give us the faith rooted in your gospel to trust you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.